0: Letter eighteen of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pamela, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter eighteen. My dear lady, I now resume my last subject where I left off, that your ladyship may have the whole before you at one view. I went after dinner with my dear benefactor to Lady Arthur's, and met with fresh calls upon me for humility, having the two natural effects of the praises, and professed admiration of that lady's guests, as well as my dear Mr. B's, and those of Mr. and Mrs. Arthur, to guard myself against, and your good brother was pleased to entertain me in the chariot, going and coming, with an account of the orders he had given in relation to the London house which is actually taken, and the furniture he should direct for it. So I had no opportunity to tell him what I had done in relation to Mrs. Jervis. But after supper, retiring from company to my closet, when his friends were gone, he came up to me about our usual bedtime. He inquired kindly after my employment, which was trying to read in the French Telemachus, for, my lady, I am learning French, I'll assure you, and who do you think is my master? Why, the best I could have in the world, your dearest brother, who is pleased to say I am no dunce. How inexcusable should I be, if I was with such a master, who teaches me on his knee, and rewards me with a kiss whenever I do well, and says I have already nearly mastered the accent and pronunciation, which he tells me is a great difficulty got over, I requested him to render for me into English two or three places that were beyond my reach, and when he had done it he asked me in French what I had done for Mrs. Jervis. I said, Permit me, sir, for I am not proficient enough to answer you in my new tongue, in English to say, I have made the good woman quite happy, and if I have your approbation I shall be as much so myself in this instance as i am in all others i dare answer for your prudence my dear he was pleased to say but this is your favourite let me know when you have so bountiful a heart to strangers what you do for your favourites i then said permit my bold eye sir to watch yours as i obey you and you know you must not look full upon me then for if you do how shall i look at you again how see as i proceed whether you are displeased, for you will not chide me in words, so partial have you the goodness to be to all I do. He put his arm round me, and looked down now and then as I desired, for, oh, madam, he is all condescension and goodness to his unworthy, yet grateful Pamela. I told him all I have written to you about the forty pounds, and now, dear sir, said I, half hiding my face on his shoulder, you have heard what i have done chide or beat your pamela if you please it shall be all kind from you and matter of future direction and caution he raised my head and kissed me two or three times saying thus then i chide i beat my angel and yet i have one fault to find in you and let mrs jervis if not in bed come up to us and hear what it is for i will expose you as you deserve before her my Polly being in hearing, attending to know if I wanted her assistance to undress. I bade her call Mrs. Jervis, and though I thought from his kind looks and kind words, as well as tender behaviour, that I had not much to fear, yet I was impatient to know what my fault was, for which I was to be exposed. The good woman came, and as she entered with all that modesty, which is so graceful in her, he moved his chair further from me, and with a set aspect, but not unpleasant, said, "'Step in, Mrs. Jervis. Your lady, for so, madam, he will always call me to Mrs. Jervis and to the servants, has incurred my censure, and I would not tell her in what till I had you face to face.' She looked surprised. Now on me, now on her dear master, and I, not knowing what he would say, "'looked a little attentive. "'I am sorry. "'I am very sorry for it, sir,' said she, "'curtseying low. "'But should be more sorry "'if I were the unhappy occasion. "'Why, Mrs. Jervis, "'I can't say but it is on your account "'that I must blame her. "'This gave us both confusion, "'but especially the good woman, "'for still I hoped much "'from this kind behaviour to me just before, "'and she said,' Indeed, sir, I could never deserve—' He interrupted her. "'My charge against you, Pamela,' said he, "'is that of niggardliness, and no other, "'for I will put you both out of your pain. "'You ought not to have found out the method of repayment.' "'Dear creature,' said he to Mrs. Jervis, "'seldom does anything that can be mended. "'But I think when your good conduct "'deserved an annual acknowledgement from me, in addition to your salary, the lady should have showed herself no less pleased with your service than the gentleman. Had it been for old acquaintance sake, for sex sake, she should not have given me cause to upbraid her on this head. But I will tell you that you must look upon the forty pounds you have as the effect of just distinction on many accounts, and your salary from last quarter day shall be advanced as the dear niggard intended it some years hence and let me only add, that when my Pamela first begins to show a coldness to her Mrs. Jervis, I shall then suspect she is beginning to decline in that humble virtue, which is now peculiar to herself, and makes her the delight of all who converse with her. He was thus pleased to say, thus, with the most graceful generosity, and a nobleness of mind, truly peculiar to himself, was he pleased to act, and what could Mrs. Jervis or I say to him? Why, indeed, nothing at all. We could only look upon one another, with our eyes and our hearts full of gratitude, that would not permit either of us to speak, but which expressed itself at last in a manner he was pleased to call more elegant than words, with uplifted folded hands and tears of joy. Oh, my dear lady, how many opportunities have the beneficent rich to make themselves as well as their fellow-creatures, happy. All that I could think or say or act was but my duty before. What a sense of obligation, then, must I lie under to this most generous of men! But here let me put an end to this tedious subject, the principal part of which can have no excuse if it may not serve as a proof of my cheerful compliance with your ladyship's commands, that I recite everything of concern to me and with the same freedom as I used to do to my dear parents. I have done it, and at the same time offered what I had, to plead in behalf of my conduct to the two housekeepers, which you expected from me, and I shall therefore close this, my humble defence, if I may so call it, with the assurance that I am, my dearest lady, your obliged and faithful servant. P.B. End of letter 18.